You know, there are some things uh, this morning that are just too important in life to be unsure about. Uh, we want assurance on some things, don't we? You know, I know this because I have a child, and uh, of course he's not here this morning to kind of pick on him, but I have a child that, you know, he really wants assurance when it comes to things. Uh, for instance, uh, his basketball, right? He loves basketball, and so whenever it's time to go to one of his basketball games or basketball practice, there are some questions that he asks. And he asks a lot, you know, Dad, have you washed my basketball clothes? Is my uniform ready to go? Dad, uh, are we leaving at 930? Right, because it starts at 10. So uh, are we leaving at 930? We've got to leave at 930. Dad, you have the cash, right? I mean, you know, you got to have the money to get in. You've got cash, right? Dad, uh, are you taking the short route? Uh, You're not going to take the longer route, right? You're going to take the short route. Dad, do you have enough gas in your car? I mean, these are questions that I seriously deal with every time that we go. And Dad, when we get there, you know, are you going to stay? Are you going to watch? Or are you going to leave? He needs assurance on some of these things. And there are some people who need assurance more than others. Well, this morning, how much more important is assurance when it comes to our salvation? You know, essentially, this morning's lesson is a, a lesson on heaven and hell, right? And this is not like making a decision on something that, uh, that's, you know, very similar. Like, you have two similar choices, right? It's not like you say, well, you know, Motel 8, you know, they have this really good swimming pool, but then Holiday Inn Express, they have the free Wi-Fi, so I really don't know. It's kind of up in the air. But no, this is a lesson on assurance, right? Do I, how can I know that I am saved? We want assurance when talking about something as important as our eternity. And listen, God does not want us to be those uh, who are unsure about this. He doesn't want us to be in fear, constantly in fear. Are we in Christ? Are we out of Christ? And so he gives us that assurance. But for most people, it's simply a matter of study, right? Getting into the book and understanding what God has to say about that topic. But I think there are a lot of people that are just aren't certain if they're saved. They have those nagging doubts in the back of their mind. And I'm even talking about New Testament Christians this morning when I, when I use that. You know, they wonder, will I go to heaven? They have hopes, but they don't have that assurance. They certainly don't have the assurance of the Apostle Paul on the verge of his death. Second uh, Timothy, that's the last letter he writes. And we just uh, had one of those verses read to us this morning by Brenton. But at the beginning of that letter, in verse 12 of chapter 1, he said, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until this day. And again, what was just read for us in chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, Uh, For I have already been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. And you read verses like this, and you you don't get the idea that Paul's saying, Boy, I I sure hope I did things right in this life. Or, or boy, uh, I sure hope my home is heaven. In the Hebrews letter, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, the Hebrews writer says, Now that we have access to God through Jesus Christ, let us draw near to him in full assurance of faith. Have this assurance of faith. And again, I ask that question. Does this sound like someone who is doubting about his eternal destiny? This lesson, again, is is, uh, intended to remove any nagging doubts that maybe you have this morning. And if you have those nagging doubts, 
How can you fix it? How can you be like Paul to confidently say the things that he said about his, his salvation? How do I solve that problem if I just don't know if I'm going to heaven or not? And that's what we want to do this morning is to remove some of those doubts for the Christian. How can I know for sure that I'm saved? Right? That's a great question to ask. And so I'm going to give you three points this morning as we go throughout this lesson. And number one, it comes, my assurance comes from what is written. The Apostle John, you know, he wrote the, the Gospel of John, uh, those three epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. And a couple of times within those writings, he gives us a direct thesis statement as to why he's writing these. In John chapter 20, uh, in verses 30 and 31 of his gospel, listen to what he says. He says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Very similarly, in the, the epistle 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, again, notice what he says, what he writes. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, John is saying you want assurance of eternal life? You, you want to uh, know that you're going to heaven or not? I've written to these things to you, for you, so that you may know these things. Right? Because... Uh, Feelings, feelings are untrustworthy. Uh, we live in a day where we hear this all the time, right? Just follow your heart. Just go where your heart leads you. Uh, there's an old song where the lyrics, you know, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. right well, 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 listen to what the, the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah said this about the heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else. And is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, the heart in of itself, Jeremiah is saying, it's untrustworthy. Now, you might be saying, well, what about Proverbs 3, 5? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Right? Doesn't that teach us to trust in the Lord with our hearts? Well, keep going in that verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Right? That verse is saying that our hearts need to be shaped and molded. By the word of God. See, feelings, they can cause false concerns. You know, there are some Christians who uh, I know that they, they lay awake at night just, again, worried. Uh, am I doing things okay? Uh, those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, again, they have these nagging doubts and, and they worry. You know, you see uh, individuals, uh, if you've ever, you know, been with someone who is about to pass on from this life into the next, then you can notice a stark contrast in be between some, right? Some people are, they're at peace, they're, there's assurance, there's security, while others are terrified because they feel as if they don't know. You remember the story of Joseph in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 37? Of course, uh, his brothers, out of jealousy, they, they sell Joseph into slavery and you remember they take his, his multicolored coat and they, they drench it in this blood and they take it back to their father Jacob and they say, you know, isn't this your son's coat? I mean, isn't this Joseph's coat? And, of course, Jacob, uh, when, uh, seeing that, he, he's horrified, right? He, and he draw, draws this conclusion that is based on his feelings that's incorrect, right? That his son has, been, has died. But, of course, he didn't die. His brother, or those brothers, his sons, had set him up. And all those years he lived feeling as if his son was dead. 
But those feelings were wrong. Right? Even with the evidence that was presented to him, that false evidence, he felt as if though his son was, it was dead, but he wasn't. Feelings can cause false concern. They also can cause false confidence in our lives. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1, Paul, of course, before Paul was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jew among Jew, a Pharisee among Pharisees. And, uh, you know, he was on the fast track of success in, in the uh, Jewish religion, right? And uh, we recall that he went around imprisoning Jews, or excuse me, imprisoning Christians. Uh, he was putting Christians to death. Uh, he was doing a lot of, uh, you know, wrong things to Christians, right? All in the, for the sake of Judaism, right? He felt as if he was doing the right thing. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1, he says this, Paul, looking intently at the council, said, brethren... I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Right? He's saying, uh, when I was doing those things as a, as a Jew, when I was arresting those Christians, when I was putting them to death, I was doing all those things sincerely. Right? I was doing all those things with a good conscience because I felt that was the right thing to do. Now, Paul may have been sincere, but we know he was sincerely wrong. There was a movement that began uh, in the Southern Appalachians in the, uh, around 1910, as I was studying this this morning. And, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe you've even seen this uh, since we're sort of in that region. But uh, there, there are those uh, who, uh, and they still practice this today, who believe that they can still perform these miraculous signs uh, that you see in Scripture. And they take passages like Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, where Jesus says to uh, those, he says, these signs will accompany those who have believed in my name, and they will, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and they will drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Well, there was a man in 1998, so this isn't too long ago, but his name was John Wayne Brown Jr. Uh, his nickname was Punkin, and John Wayne Brown Jr. Uh, was a part of this movement where they believed that, well, you know, they handled snakes. Right? Uh, they believed that, in this, that this passage was still applicable today, and so they would handle snakes just to sort of prove to those maybe within those congregations that, you know, these miraculous things could could take place. Well, the sad thing was, back in 1998, uh, about three years earlier, his wife had died, actually in Middlesboro, Kentucky, uh, by being bit by a rattler. Well, three years later, he's still doing the same thing. He, he, he picked up this, this, uh, this rattler, this timber rattler, a three-foot timber rattler. He's doing his thing on stage with it, and it bites him right on the finger. Within 10 minutes, he dies. He dies. Five children now widowed because... Uh, because he, he took that passage as if he felt as if uh, he could still perform miracles today. Sincerity, friends, is to be applauded. Sincerity in our lives. But sincerity in religion, it doesn't count for anything unless it is coupled with truth. Right? Uh, we understand through the scriptures that the miraculous age uh, is no longer in effect. Right? Those commands here that he's giving to those apostles to you know, drink poison and to pick up snakes... Those were meant for them in the miraculous age, those who had the ability to heal and such. And friends, the first point I want us to make this morning is that God's written word is sufficient in producing faith. Again, John says, I wrote these things so that you may believe. Number two, my assurance of my salvation, you know, likewise, or on the opposite, the flip side, does not come from man. 
If you read the bulletin article last week, um, I included this article uh, by Brother Steve Higginbotham, which I thought was a pretty good article, but uh, I'll just reiterate what it talked about. But it talked about this, uh, this true story about a photographer who, you know, he was, taking, or he was assigned to take pictures of this wildfire that's going out, out west. And so he's told that there's a small plane for him waiting at the hangar, and so he's to go and get on board and go take those pictures. And so he goes to the airport. He's, he finds that small plane. He gets on board, and he tells the pilot, okay, let's go. And so the, the pilot responds, um, okay, which way do you want me to go? And he shows him on the map where to go. And then the, the photographer tells the pilot, I want you to get lower. Get as close as possible to the fire as you can. Well, the, the pilot said, why would you want me to do that? And the photographer said, well, I want to take some really good pictures. I need to get up as close as possible to take some really good pictures. And after a few moments, the pilot finally realized, you mean you're not my instructor? You know, too often, spiritually speaking, people look to the wrong places for directions in life. You know, in that illustration I gave, both men got it wrong. Right? The pilot thought that that man on board was his instructor. That photographer thought that that pilot was a real pilot that had his license, that knew what he was doing. Right? Men can sometimes be wrong. Men can sometimes be deceitful. You know, who is my standard? Is it the preacher and what he says? Is it uh, someone in my family? Uh, or is it my Lord? You know, Jesus, I know this is a verse that we often use, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where he says there, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father will enter. Many will say to me on that day, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do uh, many miracles? And, and I'm going to say to him, right, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you, right? Men can be sincere, but they can be wrong. Right? Jesus is saying there, there are those who are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, the religious people who call me Lord. And I'm going to say to them, I depart from me. I never knew you. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 wrote, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Right? He's saying, listen, don't just take someone's word for it, but test them. And you and I do that today by testing what they have to say against God's word. There's a, a story in the Old Testament that I think uh, really helps us understand this. It's just a great story in 1 Kings chapter 13. Uh, I'd like to maybe preach a sermon on it in the next couple of weeks or so. But in 1 Kings 13, uh, often preachers will title this lesson, uh, The Prophet Who Lied and the Prophet Who Died. Right? And so kind of to give the gist of what's going on here in 1 Kings 13 is Jeroboam has, remember, he's taken those 10 uh, northern tribes under his control. He's taken them into apostasy. He's built these, uh, these two golden calves up in Bethel and Dan so that people don't go to Jerusalem to worship anymore. And uh, there's a young prophet. God sends a young prophet to Jeroboam. And he's preaching to him. And he gives him these signs by saying, you know, uh, God's going to split this altar in half. And, uh, of course, that happens. Jeroboam's upset. He tries to reach out and grab the man, but his hand withers. And so Jeroboam, he, he's, he, he's shocked. He's confused. He asks the young prophet to pray to God to have it restored. His hand's restored. And so Jeroboam, from that point, you know, he wants to reward this young prophet. He wants to take him home and give him something to eat and let him refresh. And, again, he's going to give him a reward, he says. But that prophet refuses to go with him. Matter of fact, he, he said, even if you were to give me half of your house, I would not go home with you. Well, why? 
Because God told him not to eat, not to drink uh, in that city, and even to leave that city a different way. Well, word gets back to an older prophet who lived in, uh, in Bethel. There's an older prophet here. And so he invites the young prophet this time. He invites the young prophet to his home. And again, the young prophet makes that claim again. He says, God told me, I can't do that. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't you know, drink. I can't stay in this town. But listen to what the, the old prophet said. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 18. This is what the old prophet said. He said, I am also a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. Well, that sounds like a, a pretty noble thing, right? Uh, that this, this angel spoke to this older prophet, and he said, No, no, I got some new revelation for you. You bring him to your house and feed him. But is that how that verse ends? It's not, is it? Because it says at the very end of that verse about the old prophet, but he lied to him. That's a disturbing verse, isn't it? That this old prophet lied to this younger prophet. And if you recall the end of the story, you know that as the young prophet leaves, as he, as he goes on his way home, a lion comes out of nowhere and uh, kills him, right? Right there on the road. He listened to the words of a man and he died because of that. He paid the price for that because he took a man's word over what God had told him. Friends, we need to listen to the word of God and not man. When we rely on the spiritual advice of others without testing it, you know, we are likely, we are likely to be at risk of asking, you mean you're not the pilot? Things, there are certain things that maybe um, man says that you know, we just can't find in scripture. You know, man says that we can be saved by faith alone. Right, but, but did Jesus ever say that? Did the apostles ever teach that? Matter of fact, there is only one Bible verse in Scripture, James chapter 2, uh, verse 24, that says this phrase, faith alone. And notice what James says. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Right? The only time faith alone is used in Scriptures, it says the opposite. It doesn't say man is saved by faith alone. It says man is not saved by faith alone. You know, man will say other things like, just say the sinner's prayer, right? You know, you can't turn on a television program, a commercial, without maybe seeing somebody saying, you know, just say this prayer and you'll be saved. Just do that. Again, where do you read that in the scriptures? Where, where, do, you, where do you read about um, Jesus saying, just invite me into your heart? You know, the, there are passages, of course, about Jesus dwelling in the hearts of Christians, but there's never a passage uh, uh, prescribed to a non-Christian invite, saying, invite Jesus into your heart. Or just say this prayer and you'll be saved. Again, it's not there. That's what man says, but that's not what the scriptures say. See, I think man has a hard time of understanding this idea of exclusion and inclusion. You know, let, let me go back to my opening illustration. You know, let's say my son comes to me and says, I want to be an NBA basketball player someday. You know, Dad, what do I need to do to become a basketball player someday, a professional player? And I'll tell him, well, well, you know, you really need to work on your dribbling, right? You need to be the best dribbler around. Uh, work on that. Well, then maybe the next time he asks me again, Dad, what do I need to do to be a great basketball player? And I'll say, 
you know, you really need to work on your jump shot. You need to become, you know, perfect at shooting the ball. Or maybe another time I'll say, you need to be able to make crisp, clean passes every time. Never turn the ball over. You need to be the best passer that you can be. Well, which one is it? Did did I lie to my son? Did I mislead him? Because I just told him three different things. Which one is it? Well, of course, the answer is all above. It's inclusive. All you need to do is dribble the ball well. Well, no, but you do need to know how to dribble the ball. Well, take that idea with the scriptures, right? What about the Bible? How can I know for sure that I'm saved? You know, we have passages like John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that passage teaches us that we need to believe, right? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Do we need to believe? Well, of course, yes. But is that passage teaching belief alone? No, it's not teaching that it's, it's ex- exclusively belief. But salvation includes that, right? Luke 13, 3, I tell you no, Jesus says, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Again, is it repentance alone? No, repentance is inclusive, but it's not exclusive, right? A dribble, shoot, pass, all parts of those. Belief, repentance, that's all part of it. Again, Romans 10, 10, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation, Is confession part of God's plan of salvation? Yes, of course. But confession alone? Well, we just read Matthew 7, 21, where Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then we go to 1 Peter 3, verse 21, and we read this passage that says, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Well, is it baptism alone that saves me? Well, no. If I'm baptized uh, without any of those other aspects of salvation, I'm just getting wet. I'm just getting dunked underwater. I'm just taking a bath. But as the Bible teaches, uh, those things are inclusive of all. Belief, repentance, confession, baptism. Why? Because that's what the scripture teaches. This isn't my opinion. This isn't my man-made tradition. But that's what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us in order to be saved. And again, the, where we get that, our salvation, our assurance, is not from man. Finally, one more point before we close this morning. My assurance of salvation is based on an understanding of God's two laws of pardon. I think you understand this, uh, uh, you know, when when we think of our driver's licenses, right? When when you want to get your driver's license for the first time, what do you have to do? You got to take a test, maybe a written test and a a physical test of actually going out and proving that you know what to do. But if you want to renew that driver's license, or maybe you're moving from a different state and you need a new driver's license, you don't have to take that test again, right? Uh, You just have to renew it because there's two laws, right? There's the first law that if you want a driver's license but don't have one, and then there's that second law for those who have a driver's license and want to renew it. Well, the same idea plays out in the respect of salvation, right? For the non-Christian, in Acts chapter 2, of course, Peter's preaching that gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost, and he's convicting the Jews of, of what they have done. And he gets to the point where he's about to maybe to offer the invitation and they interrupt him and say, brethren, what must we do to be saved? And of course, Peter says, repent and be baptized. Right. Those who are not children of God are told to repent and be baptized uh, to have their sins washed away. And friends, if you're here this morning and you're not a, a Christian, you need to do that. Right. Become part of the saved. Be added to his church. To the non-Christian, he says, repent and be baptized. 
But what about forgiveness for the Christian? Well, if we we were to uh, go a couple of more chapters into Acts chapter 8, we have an example of this. You know, sometimes some people will say, uh, you know, do I need to be baptized again? You know, I I feel that I've sinned. uh, I've sinned really bad. And uh, do I need to be baptized again? And they worry that maybe they're in that lost state. And so because of that, you know, because we understand the scriptures do teach that we can be severed from Christ. Galatians chapter 5 verse 4. Well, in Acts chapter 8, we have an example of someone uh, who that happened to. Uh, You might remember him as Simon the sorcerer, but you recall that he was baptized into Christ earlier in Acts chapter 8. But then not too long later, uh, he goes back into his old ways. He sees Peter and John performing these miracles, and he wants to purchase that power. And remember, Peter says to him in verse 21, Listen, Simon, your heart is not right with God. And so notice what he tells him in verse 22 he needs to do. He says, therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. He doesn't tell him to get rebaptized. You know, he doesn't tell him to take that test again, that driver's test again. But he says, you need to repent and pray to God for forgiveness. And God will keep his promise. And again, when I have that understanding of what God says that I need to do in my life in order to be saved, I have that assurance. I have the assurance that my sins are forgiven. John chapter 12, verse 48. Hopefully this is a verse you're familiar with. Such a powerful, powerful verse where Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. I want you to notice just quickly three things about this verse. Number one, Jesus said this. Number two, man did not say this. And number three, Jesus says, I need to receive his sayings. You know, in essence, I need to obey his word. Can I know for sure that I'm saved this morning? Again, that question is answered by what I feel. It's not determined by what I feel. That answer isn't determined by what others tell me. But that answer is determined by whether you have obeyed the word of God. Don't you want to live that life knowing this morning that no matter how bad it gets here, that I have there, right? As bad as it is here, I can hang on because I have there. I don't know. I don't know how people live life without a view of eternity in mind and having that, set, that, that assurance of that eternity. Maybe this morning you have that nagging feeling. Uh, Maybe this morning, um, well, let me ask you these questions this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Have you decided to turn away from sin? Have you reenacted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? This morning, if you've answered no to any of those questions, you're in a lost state this morning. And we would urge and plead with you to to come to Christ this morning, to be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, to have your sins washed away. But again, maybe this morning, maybe you have those nagging thoughts that maybe I'm not saved. Well, this morning, my encouragement for you is to get into the word, right? It's to understand what Jesus had to say about that or what the Bible has to say about being saved. Hearing God's word, believing Jesus is the son of God, repenting of sin, Confessing him before man, being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And of course, Revelation 2.10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. 
this morning as we offer the invitation this morning. If you're here this morning and maybe uh, you need the prayers of this congregation. Maybe you need the encouragement of the congregation. Maybe you need to ask God for forgiveness. We would love the opportunity to help uh, you with that. To pray for you as well. Or maybe again this morning you're here with us and maybe you've never been baptized into Christ. Maybe you've never been added to his church. You haven't done those things that we read about in the, in the New Testament for those early first century Christians in order for them to become members uh, of that church, of God's church. We would love the opportunity again to assist you with that. We ask that you would please come forward as together we stand and sing.